Tuesday on the Just Baseball Show. Today is Tuesday, June 7th. Jack McMullen, Peter Apple. Good evening to you, Peter. Uh, yes. It's 5.09. It's the evening yes. time. Yes, so we were arguing about this earlier. And I would love, because we're going to post this podcast on our Twitter tomorrow, at Just BB Media. I would love to see some comments, because Jack and I were arguing, what is evening? What is afternoon? Right. Not totally sold on is 6 p.m. evening is 5 p.m. evening jack and i were both talking about it because at the beginning of this i said good evening so have you come to a conclusion for me i'm thinking 5 30 officially goes in the evening anything before kind of after 2 p.m ish is the afternoon i think i'm uh, set on that but you have a different opinion so pre-noon is the morning Noon yes. to five is the afternoon, and I think 5.01 on is the evening. The problem is, I'm in New York City right now, blue skies, it's 5.10. How can it be evening? Gray skies in Indianapolis. Still technically the day, though, because if it was sunny, blue skies. Yeah, you make a nice point. Um, also, we'll, yeah, switching to wintertime, days get shorter, maybe does no, evening man. afternoon Congress, switch with the time. Congress said we're done with that. Congress said we're done with daylight savings. We're good. Are we going to make a government joke about how they don't do anything? Or should we no, I, I was thinking another non-baseball thing quick, and then we get to the baseball things too. Sometimes I think that like, hey, I'm a cool guy. You know, like I could be fun at parties, that type of thing. And then I take, it, I take a step back this morning mm-hmm. and I say to myself, Jack, you're watching SpongeBob while using an elliptical machine. Yeah. SpongeBob on the elliptical. I'm not cool. Like nobody wants to hang out with me. You're right. Like <laughs> you're just right. Like I was gonna make a joke. Nope. You're just right. Yeah. No, why I, would, like, no. Yeah. I took the step back. I was at the Y, really nice Y in downtown Indy, and I just like I think for a moment. Oh my god. Like I I really need to to check myself. I got to be listening to like some cool person music or something right now. But SpongeBob on the elliptical was my move. We're a very self-aware pod. We know our strengths and our weaknesses. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What's your, what's your weakness? You know, I, I, I've said this before. My weakness is I get too fired up about a player, and then I'll start <laughs> saying that he's amazing when it's like he had four home runs in like two weeks. Right, like, it's like Danny Duffy? Yeah. Like I just – I get over the moon excited about guys that I start spewing out too much positivity – And what that brings me to is I'm almost too much of an optimist that I can't see through some things. Normally it works out, but it can not work out. Yeah. So if you guys heard that correctly, Peter's fatal flaw is that he's too happy. And mine is that I'm a goober weirdo. (laughs) (laughs) I have plenty more weaknesses, but not worthy to go over on the pod. Yeah. We can talk about baseball. You um, we've got some guys that we think are, are flying under the radar, you know, again, just guys that need more love because we love shouting out the guys that need more love. We've got two pitchers, two hitters each. But first, 
three of the best hitters in baseball are not performing like the best hitters in baseball. And when we talk best hitters in baseball at the moment on June 7th, we're talking about Jordan Alvarez and Mookie Betts and Paul Goldschmidt. We're not talking about, yeah, Tim and JD Martinez, Rafael Devers. We're not talking about, which is super weird because last week we would have been talking about trout like this, but at this very moment, we're not talking about Mike Trout like this. We're not talking about Ronald Acuna Jr. like this. We're not talking about Vladdy Jr. like this. We're not talking about Shohei Otani like this. And we're not talking about Juan freaking Soto like this. It, it's bizarre. So let's touch on those five, and then we'll get to the guys that we think need more love. It's absolutely bizarre that when we're talking about best hitters in baseball, maybe the five that you would rank at the beginning of the season are nowhere near the best hitters in baseball currently right now statistically. Let's talk about Mike Trout for a second because on Just Baseball Stats and Info, which is our great new Twitter follow for you guys, we'll drop that in the episode description. It's our guy Colby, and we have two of our interns on it as well, giving you the best stats possible. It's called JB Stats and Info. Both interns' names are Matt, by the way, so it's great. You can't screw it up. It's either Colby or Matt. The Mats and Colby are giving you all the stats, and this was a great one that they pulled up. Mike Trout is in the worst slump of his career. Now 0 for his last 28 plate appearances. Trout has only reached base twice since May 29th. This is June 7th we're talking about. The superstar now has the worst slash line of his career by far, and that slash line is 278, 380, 585. So still good, clearly. Mike Trout is still good. That's what we're, we're splitting hairs here. But a guy like Juan Soto, he's got an OPS under 850. Heating up, like you said, it was like, should we put Juan Soto in the discussion? Like, yeah, we look at the 230 batting average and we say, yeah, right now he is not hitting like he should be. Another guy. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so Trout, like I'm going to take a 955 OPS if he's, if he's having the worst year of his career right now. Yeah, we're just we're just talking about it right now because it's current and the fact that Trout has never gone on the streak in his entire career. And they play Michael Walker. They play the Red Sox tonight because we're recording on Monday to be released on Tuesday. So he could just break out of this completely and have three right. home runs. But this is just what we're dealing with right now. Again, we harped on Vladdy, Vladdy's performance, but he's another guy. 816, 820 OPS at the time of recording. Not very good. We were going to add Ronald Acuna Jr. into this, but he's kind of doing really well. Yeah. So we can't really put him in this. But Shohei Otani, another guy, OPS under 800. Yeah. We'll see. Shohei Otani's getting hotter, and all these guys will. But right now, the best hitters in baseball are not the best hitters in baseball. Let's run you through Soto, though. 56 games. He's hitting 228 with a 371 OBP. The 371 OBP isn't even top 10 in baseball right now. And we were thinking Juan Soto is going to set an OBP record this year because nobody's going to pitch to him. He leads all of baseball in walks, but he's not impacting the baseball like we've come to expect from Juan Soto. Last year in 151 games, he hit 313. We thought 313 was here to stay. He's hitting 228. When he was a 20-year-old rookie in 2018, he hit 292. Like he's got to be so much better than 228. And he had a 406 OBP that year. 371 is not going to cut it. Now, 45 walks and 39 punch outs is great. Yes. Yeah, he's still walking. You're walking more than you're striking out. Yeah. (laughs) And and an 831 OPS is still very well above average. An 831 OPS is 
We're borderline splitters. all-star. Yes. But we're not asking Juan Soto to be a borderline all-star anymore. We're asking him to set an OBP record. Yes. That's exactly it. And that's, that's, that's why we're splitting hairs here. And that's why we're kind of get, getting on these guys. And Juan Soto's struggles do not start and end at the plate check. Have you looked at the defensive metrics? Yeah, not they're not good. good. Bad. Not like, okay. And it's funny because we, you know, Juan Soto was placed in the MVP discussion for good reason. And just by the bat alone, he probably could. But at the end of the day, he is a corner outfielder. So it's all about his bat. But we need some defense out of him. And when he moved over from right field or from left field to right field, the odds above average were great. He was one of the best defensive right fielders by the metrics last year. This year, he's playing some more left field. And he's one of the worst defenders in the outfield right now. And this outfield, you know, there's a lot of outfielders in Major League Baseball. Kyle Schwarber still plays the outfield. The Cassiano still plays the outfield. Like, there's plenty of outfielders out there who are not very good defenders. He's one of the worst so far this year. So it doesn't just start and end with his performance at the plate. He's just not good all around right now. And I'm not definitely not taking my victory lap on when I preach do not take Juan Soto to win the MVP. I think the lack of protection in his lineup, I think the fact that you know, he's not playing well on defense. I think this bad Nationals team, I don't know. This is just conjecture because I don't know any other way to describe it because it's not like his swing is off. It could just be a timing thing. But I think it's a. It's now a collection of just being on a shit team with no protection in your lineup and no real chance to win every day. Because when you look at the starting pitcher for the day, you know, you get more co- confidence in you when you see a Steven Strasburg at the peak of his powers he's pitching it's like all right we're we're due for a win today or even Patrick Corbin a couple of years ago maybe but now it's like you get up for Josiah Gray who's fine you get up for Patrick Corbin no you get, get up, up for Strasburg you get up for Joanna don't no who are you getting up for nobody it's tough for Juan Soto right now yeah, it's really tough. I don't have the defensive metrics in front of me right now. For some reason, Savant isn't pulling up his uh, his bubbles for me at the moment. Do you have the, the metrics in front of you? Like what? For his offense or? I'm looking for defense. Here we go. Oh, yeah. he's, he's second percentile and outs above average. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's brutal. brutal. He's one of the worst defenders in the outfield in all of baseball. Let's just see, like, for example. I'm looking at the entire leaderboard of just where he sits right now with all defenders, with all defenders out of 260 defenders this year that qualify in terms of outs above average 260. Where do you think he ranks? Well, he saw got, second, yeah, he I've, saw second percentile on outfield. So yeah, I, I assume bottom seven. Yeah. He's 249th out of 260. Yeah. So bottom 11 of outfielders, um, Andrew Vaughn is the only worst defensive outfielder in baseball in terms of outs above average. You can't do that I'm, if you're Juan Soto. I, and, and I know I just made silent for all those watching on YouTube. I kind of just did the, that's what yeah. I'm talking about kind of face. Yeah. Um, Soto's still got an 830 OPS. Yeah, he's still Vladdy's got an 860. <laughs> but Vladdy's got an 816 OPS. And that's all Vladdy's game is. You're not asking him to be a good first baseman. You're pretty much asking him to be a DH that has a glove on half the time. Yes. And an 816 OPS for a guy who had an 1,002 OPS last year is kind of crazy. And I don't know like tangibly what he's doing different right now. I don't tangibly know how pitchers are attacking him differently right now. 
We talked um, about it, remember? We talked about when uh, Mike Petriello's article. He broke yeah, it down. Yeah, more breaking it's, balls. It's like, no, it's the high velo that's getting to him. He's seen the hardest amount of fastballs this year. Like, um, they quantified that. He's seen the highest velocity of fastballs at 94 and a half miles an hour. And pitchers are going low in the zone against him because they realize that he can hit that high fastball pretty easily. He did it very well last year. So they're now attacking him low in the zone with high heat and just spinning him to death. I mean, he's still hitting the bar, ball extremely hard. All the advanced metrics are saying, yeah, he's going to be totally fine. And, and the eye test, I would say, he's going to be totally fine because Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. can hit with the best of them. But a 50% ground ball rate from Vladimir Guerrero Jr., it's because everything's low in the zone. He's just pounding balls into the ground, and they're being hit very hard because it's Vladimir Guerrero Jr., but everything's on the ground, Jack. Yeah. Um, curious like what what do you see because you say he passes the eye test i'm curious because the swing looks great and he's still hitting the living shit out of the ball but it's just on the ground and he also what i've been noticing too is that and blue jays fans i hope that you'll back me up on this and, and maybe i'm wrong about this and maybe it's just from watching the couple you know the blue jays games that i've seen but he misses first pitch fastball all the time jack and it looks like he's trying to unload on that pitch. And it's like he swings out of his shoes. I was just watching him yesterday, you know, against um, – who is he facing? He's facing Devin Smeltzer of the Twins. He's facing Dylan Bundy too. Just fastballs right down the middle, just swinging through him. Looks like he's trying to hit a home run on every pitch. Yeah, That's my thinking here. That's what it looks like to me. I hear you. Um, Vladdy Jr. has the highest swinging percentage on pitches outside the strike zone of his entire career. So he's chasing a lot uh, in terms of swinging strike percentage. It's actually lower by a percent right now, um, but he's swinging at more pitches. He's swinging at like 4% more pitches. So he's just expanding his zone a little bit more it is, yeah. is the understanding from looking at, at the fan graphs page and all that. Um, one guy that I do want to talk about for a moment, and, and it was good that he was on Sunday night baseball last night is Paul Goldschmidt. Mm. And I just did not see this shit ever coming again. Like I thought that Paul Goldschmidt was in Arizona and I, I thought that he could be an all-star first baseman. I didn't think Paul Goldschmidt, you know, 50 games into the year, he's played 53 games. I didn't think 343 with a 1031 OPS was possible for Paul Goldschmidt. I do think it's going to regress a little bit uh, clearly, it because it has to it has to. I want you to pull up his splits right now. Have you seen his numbers? Yeah. Against left-handed pitching this yeah. year? Yeah. Against lefties, Paul Goldschmidt in 40 at-bats is hitting 500. He's <laughs> yeah, like, 20 for 40. It's the best. He's the best hitter against left-handed pitching right now that I've ever seen. What do you maybe, think? That, again, one of my faults. Maybe, but like 500? What do you think his OPS is against lefties in 40 at-bats? 1,800. 1500 1474 it was 1800 not that long ago <laughs> he's slugging 900 against left-handed pitching it's every lefty he sends them home yeah home not to the locker room home yeah back to triple a no home out of the league home love it um we got to give some guys more love let's do it uh, I'm going to start with some pitchers. You want to start with the pitchers too, and then we go to hitters? Sure. All right, let's do uh, – I'll go first, then you, then me, then you. Sounds um, good. Eric Lauer's 5-1, and one, and he's got a 2-3 ADRA. 
And Lauer was the fifth sexiest guy in this starting rotation coming into the year, because obviously you had the reigning Cy Young winner in Corbin Burns. You had a guy that was holding opponents to like a 120 batting average in Freddie Peralta, who's now on the men for a while. Um, Brandon Woodruff throws every pitch 98 miles an hour, which was really cool. And Woodruff is, is getting a little bit better at the moment, but he's still not Brandon Woodruff of old. Um, and then you've got Aaron Ashby, who is that young, exciting left-handed arm. And Ashby has that crazy arm side run. If you saw that and that great duel he had with Mackenzie Gore, I made that game appointment television. Cause I was like, wow, dude, what a matchup that is between two young lefties with disgusting stuff and gonads. That's what I love about that. And you see two winning ball clubs that are well above 500 and you see those two duel it out. And Ashby looked good in the early innings. They got to him later. Mackenzie Gore looked awesome again. He punched out 10 in six innings. Um, but then you had Eric Lauer and that, what, 13 strikeout game on Sunday night baseball against the Phillies. That was, yeah, that was great. Perfect. Angel Hernandez helped him out big time. But through 10 starts, he's got 65 punch outs in 56 and two thirds innings. And he's got a 217 opponent batting average. There's something clicking for Eric Lauer. And at the end of the day, a lot of his rotation mates might have better stuff, but Eric Lauer throws 93 to 95 miles an hour and he's got really good breaking stuff and he locates it really well. That's a guy that's the best four in baseball right now. He's hard. He's hard to understand because when you watch him, his stuff doesn't jump off the page. I don't think his command within the strike zone is elite. I don't think his overall command at all is elite. And he doesn't throw that hard, but he is effective. How long will it last? I don't know, but and my phone always yeah. drops every single episode. Um, and it always takes me off my trend thought. You're good. What I was saying is basically, I think that Eric Lauer is a good pitcher. I just don't know how long he's going to have an ERA under three. That's my thing. I so. do like him but I see some regression coming his way. Like Jack, he has a 33% whiff rate on his fastball. That's the most of any of his pitches. I don't think that that pitch elicits that. That almost doesn't make sense to me. So he's throwing his fastball at 93.6 on average. So he's got yes. a 94 mile an hour heater and he Pretty runs good. it up to 95, 96. He throws it less than 40% of the time because he goes to the slider a lot. 24% usage so far. Opponents are hitting 127 against the slider. That's turned into an amazing pitch. And it's a hard slider with somehow like a lot of movement and he can backdoor it effectively. So this is a guy that can come at you with 96 and then backdoor an 89 mile an hour slider that you can't do any damage against because the expected batting average on that is 159. So nobody's Look putting it in play really well. I you. know. Hard contact rate at 24%. Like, Look at you know, you. I listen, hard contact rate I've used, but any, anything with a lowercase X, I shudder a teensy bit. I just a teensy bit. But when I see that opponents are hitting 127 with a 156 Woba, a 163 BABIP, and an expected batting average of 159, you can't deny those numbers by saying, oh, like that pitch is due for regression. No, that's just a really that fucking good pitch now. Not that pitch, not the slider. I'm talking about the fastball. I know the fastball opponents are hitting 192. The expected batting average is 209. So even now, that's not that big of a difference. It's a good fastball. 
I agree. It has to be a good fastball because the numbers would say it'd be a good fastball. I guess it's, again, that's just, it's, it's, I don't, I don't get a ton of like confidence from Eric Lauer that he's really taken this huge next step in his development. But to your point, how about the three speeds? Cause you talk about that all the time with Eric Lauer, because he also has the curveball that he's throwing around 78. So he yes. can be 95 or 94 ish, like 94, 87, 78. That's three speeds. That's just tough to time up too. So maybe what I'm thinking is that like the stuff doesn't jump off the table, but the stuff works really well together. So that curveball that they're waiting on at 78, that slider that they're waiting on at 87, the 94 miles an hour looks like 97 because of those three different speeds. That could be the reason too. And I don't care how many dudes are on 99 right now. 96 is still fucking hard as hell. And from a lefty, still fast. It's still fast. And from a, a slight frame lefty like him, like he looks like a small, skinny guy on the mound. Um, and and also, we talk about yeah. 73rd percentile um, in fastball spin. So it's spinning hard. Yeah, it is spinning hard. It's, um, let's see. It, 2300. 2300. Yeah, 2300. 2296. So just shy of 2300. He can get that up with literally one fastball. Um, but yeah, I mean, like Lauer's got a great pitch mix and i think this is a guy that flies under the radar because he's not a hulking human being and he doesn't throw 98 but again three speeds got reed detmers a no hitter three speeds has eric lauer with what a, a two three eight era i mean i'm here for it i'm here for it too no i, I believe in eric lauer i just i guess my point about eric lauer is like is he a two three eight era guy like we were talking no, about martin press I think he's a two six guy. Wow. I mean, that's elite. That's elite, Jack. I think he can do that this year. We'll see. I, I wouldn't be shocked. I'm not saying you're wrong. I just I'm just kind of hard to believe. But we'll see. We'll see. I How about you. my next pitcher? So on Twitter, I asked you all, pick one for your bullpen. Clay Holmes of the New York Yankees was the second best ERA in all of baseball or Ryan Helsley of the St. Louis Cardinals and Clay Holmes dominated the poll. Yes. Absolutely dominated the poll, but Ryan Helsley might be just better. If you look at Ryan no. Helsley's, maybe not. No, oh, it's close, but that's how good Ryan Helsley has been this year. I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that Clay Holmes, I think Clay Holmes probably is a better overall reliever, but if I'm talking about their production to this point of players who need more love, that's why I think it was so close. And I saw the poll at like 78% versus 24% or 22%. I don't know about the math on that. Ryan Helsley is right there. 100th percentile in XERA is the second best XERA, second best ERA in all of baseball at 0.42. He's got 30 strikeouts in 21 innings, a microscopic 0.52 FIP. He's striking out nearly 41% of batters, and he doesn't give up hard hit at all. And what does it start with? The fastball that averages 99 miles an hour. But it's not just the fastball, Jack. He also has this crazy good slider that even he has a 154 batting average against the fit pitch. How about a 127 expected batting average? So not only can hitters not touch it right now, but the numbers are telling us that it could get even better. And if we're talking about three speeds, he doesn't throw the curveball that much. It's only about 10%, but he throws it around 79 to 80 miles an hour. So you're gearing up in your head for a hundred with high spin, 
Let's see what percentile is he in in fastball spin. 99th percentile in fastball. Yeah, he's got a 20. He's got a 2600 RPM fastball. It's coming in at 100. Then you got to get ready for an 89 mile an hour slider, which it's not 94 or something, which can sometimes be less effective because of the speed difference. No, it's 89 with a ton of movement. It's almost like a slurve. Yeah. Eh, no, not really, but kind of. It's just, it's so freaking good that you can classify it as whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned the three speeds. I also like that, you know, 103 is 103. And like, those guys are going to get paid a lot of money. They're going to stick around for 10 years in Major League Baseball until they're throwing 94 like Chapman. Um, but the beauty of 103 is a hitter has to compute. Am I going to see 103 right now? And chances are, if they're trying to figure that out, they can't catch up to 103 because nobody can even when they know it's coming. And then if you're not seeing it, you're seeing a really good slider and a taste breaker of a curveball. So like if you have two good pitches and you only have to throw an inning at a time, you know, it's game over. And that's what we see from Clay Holmes. That's what we see from Class A. That's what we saw from Karen Chak when he was using his crazy stuff. Like that's what we see from a hater too. Yeah. Helsley has two pitches. He's not just blow up the radar gun. And people forget about Craig Kimbrell and Araldis Chapman because they always think fastball. Kimbrell, that rising 98. Chapman, they think the guy that hit 105. Guess what? Chapman had some disgusting breaking pitches. He's got a splitter that's crazy. And in the beginning of his career, he had this slider that was nuts. Craig Kimbrell has that knuckle curve. That's a hammer of a curveball. Everybody's got two pitches that are good. If you have one pitch, you're not going to be that good. You might get some strikeouts, but you're going to walk a lot of guys because people are going to start reading it. And you're also going to allow hits in bunches. I think that's why Bruce Dark Ratterall doesn't strike out as many guys as he does because he has one pitch. You're ready for it. You're ready. And for that's it. the thing that makes Helsley so effective as well is that curveball that's just 10% of the time. I'm not saying that's the reason he's effective, but in the back of a hitter's mind, you know that there's a possibility of a 79 mile an hour curveball off 103, off an 89-mile-an-hour slider. And, Jack, do you know how many hits he's given up off the curveball so far? The curveball, he's only thrown, like, 30 times, right? I assume yeah. I assume zero. Zero is correct. But just yeah. the fact that it's zero. Yeah. No, I mean, like, so his curveball function, and we talked about it last year, Carlos Rodon inserted that curveball. He's still doing it. When Rodon is good, he's using the curveball six or seven times a start. Mm -hmm. 100 pitches, he's only going to throw it six times, but it comes out of nowhere. That's Helsley's thing. comes out of that's nowhere. And that's, so, and that's so effective, especially when you're in for an inning and you're like, oh, this is the guy 103. Then he goes first pitch curveball, and you're just in a, you're in a blender. You have no idea what to do. I wouldn't have any idea. Well, the, making me sound like I would have no idea what to do doesn't really do well for the argument because i mean i wouldn't know what to do with any of these guys but you understand the point yeah no i hear you um next guy for me because we talk about helsey being great um we can obviously talk about clay holmes and i mean haters a stud like hater um, i don't think anybody has ever given hater the flowers that he deserves facts. um but <laughs> no, we call him the best it's just we have to understand that he because also relievers are so up and down and he's yeah. been so consistent now forever yeah he's just been the top dog but yeah a guy that's top five right now has a one three three RA in 27 innings. It's David Bednar with the Pirates. Yeah. And Bednar, he didn't come out of nowhere. He was really good coming up in the Padres system. And he had this crazy, like they they called it um, it was almost like a a split 
uh, it was like a splitter, but a cutter at the same time, like a, a splutter. splutter. Yeah. yeah, they called it a splutter. So it was like a splitter with cutting action. Um, and that's turned into his splitter as it's classified now. He doesn't throw the splitter that often, 13% of the time. He throws the fastball 60% of the time. It's a 97-mile-an-hour fastball coming from a, a hefty righty, 6'1", 250. He's power, 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 and he's got a 78-mile-an-hour curveball that he throws a lot, too. Bednar is a power pitcher that looks like a power pitcher, and then that curveball is one of the best pitches that he throws. It's pretty fun. Have you seen the curveball production so far? Yeah, it's phenomenal. He's thrown it 106 times so far this year. He throws it about 27% of the time. Not a single hit. hit. Not a single hit. Because you see him run in, and you see him throw all these fastballs, and you're gearing up 97, 97, 97. Again, he throws the four-seam fastball 60% of the time. So he lulls you into this quick hypnosis. It only takes like three pitches. And then he drops that curveball on you. How are you going to adjust from 97 to 77? How? You can't. You can't. He's thrown the splitter 53 times. He's allowed one single. This is, this is the guy who should be on the trade market. The guy. If you are a team looking for bullpen help, look no farther than Pittsburgh Pirates right-handed pitcher David Bednar. The 27-year-old Jack said himself coming up with the Padres – 6'1", 250, bulky, dog in him, 100 percentile. <clears throat> David Bednar could be a huge addition for somebody at the deadline, and especially for a team like, I don't know, the Red Sox, a team like the yeah. Phillies. You know, there's a lot of teams that could definitely use him, and I feel like you're going to get David Bednar at the trade deadline and think, oh, who's David Bednar? And then we're going to see David Bednar in big-time situations for a playoff team and watch him dominate. You know, he's got team control, though. It's going to take a lot. It's going to take a big time return to go get Bednar, like similar to, um, and it was a unique situation with Kimbrell, but Kimbrell looked like vintage Kimbrell. Um, the White Sox had to give up Cody Hoyer, who can be a legitimate major league closer when he comes back, um, and Nick Madrigal, who is a an everyday second baseman. So you might have to give up an everyday young big leaguer and a very promising reliever prospect, or you might have to give up two good prospects to go get this guy because of how good he is and how much team control he has. Would you do it? If I needed one that badly, it depends on the team. Like the Dodgers could go do it. If they felt like they needed another guy and like Kimbrell's just not doing it for them and they needed a closer, go do it. Um, Because they, they have the assets to work with, but the Red Sox, like I don't think they have much to play with and they're going to ask for a guy that should be untouchable in your eyes. Like, the Pirates could realistically say a Bednar deal doesn't get started without Brian Bale. And the Red Sox have to say, fuck no. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you have to say, fuck no. Bednar for Jaron Duran and a filler will not work. Especially with how well Duran's been playing. And you know what stinks, um, at least for Jaron Duran, and possibly for Red Sox fans, depending, depending on who you like, Jackie Bradley Jr. was on paternity leave. Um, congratulations, Jackie Bradley Jr. Had his third child. Amazing. Um, and he's now back. And Jaron Duran was basically on the taxi squad and was then sent down. Um, I think after today's game, we'll see that because Jackie Bradley Jr. is back. And that's what we heard out of Boston. That sinks. Jaron Duran has clearly figured something out 
In the minors, he's been raking. And now in the majors, he's hitting over 300. And you're going to send him down for Jackie Bradley Jr. again? I don't think that's the right move, especially because the Red Sox are one of the best teams in baseball lately. They've been raking. I don't, and they're hitting Jaron Duran leadoff too. Why are you sending him down? I don't understand it. I don't know. I mean, I do understand it, but they shouldn't. They shouldn't. No, I mean, like Jaron Duran's is a better baseball player at this point than Jackie Bradley Jr. is. That's what I'm saying. That's Shout out Heim. Heim knows what he's doing. Yeah. Hashtag gold bottles or whatever. Yes. All right. Um, let's move on to my next guy. We talk about Julio Rios. We talk about Walker Bueller. And of course, we talk about Clayton Kershaw, who has been on the shelf, but these are the guys that we talk about when we talk about the Dodgers rotation. But there is one man in the Dodgers rotation that is one of the best pitchers in baseball right now and just needs more love. I know he's on the Dodgers, but I feel like he just gets dampened in L.A. with all the stars there. But he is becoming a star of his own. And that's Tony Gonsolin, the six foot three, 200 pound right hander. The 28 year old is finally coming into his own. He has not lost a game. Say what you want about pitcher wins. Six and oh, pretty damn cool. 1.59 ERA. He's not the crazy strikeout artist, but he doesn't allow hard contact at all in the 98th percentile of hard hit rate. And that gives him a 2.60 X ERA because he just doesn't allow hard contact. There's a fastball in 93 to 94 miles an hour. He's got a disgusting splitter that opponents are only hitting 125 against. Super low spin rate on that pitch. It's, it's a great wipeout pitch. But the slider might be his best wipeout pitch. Opponents are only hitting 070 against it. And then he also has a curveball, which you can throw in there as his kind of three speed because he's 94 he's 87 with the slider he's 84 with the splitter and he's around 79 to 80 with the curveball so all of these different speeds have made tony gonsolin into just a fantastic pitcher and what really has happened too is that his command has just gotten so much better not only when you look at the walk rates but when you look out within the strike zone as well i mean jack you see those heat maps look at that split fingers placing it firmly in the strike zone when he needs it getting it to dive out of the zone when he needs it the slider is backdooring on lefties into righties and the curveball he can basically place wherever he wants tony gonsolin is pitching at the top of his game right now and he's also a guy who works quickly surgical fun to watch tony gonsolin is a guy to watch this season as tyler anderson as well has been phenomenal and Tony Gonsolin has been as well. That's what's holding the Dodgers up because we haven't seen the same Walker Buehler, have not seen the same Julio Reyes. And Clayton Kershaw himself has been dealing with stuff. It's Tony Gonsolin and Tyler Anderson at the back end dominating for the Dodgers. Yeah, and Tony Gonsolin, you look at limiting run production against him. Tony Gonsolin has allowed two runs in a start three times, and that's the only time he's allowed multiple runs. I'm just like rapid fire earned runs against him. Pretty good. starts this year. One zero zero two one zero two one two zero. That's I yes yes please. The only reason I will never like Tony Gonsolin is he's got that weird obsession with cats, and I hate cats. I think it's so weird if you're like a cat guy and you totally like absorb that as part of your personality. Like his personality is cats. He's a cat owner, and it's just kind of odd to me. Tony Gonsolin confirmed cat lover. My thing is, I almost feel like on the other side, I owe him an apology because I have kind of said that I don't really believe in Tony Gonsolin. 
I've said that before. And I'm willing to say now that I think I'm wrong on that. Um, I, I think he's just a really good pitcher. And I think I took some of his cat loving and said, he, he doesn't have men. He doesn't have it mentally. Turn it into negative energy. Yeah. The, the feline prowess. Um, here's the thing about Tony Gonsolin. He's always thrown mid nineties. Uh, and he's always had really good secondary pitches. It's just yeah. the secondary pitches are so good. And I mean, like you look at the splitter, you mentioned opponents hitting 125 against it. How about the slider? There are three hits against it. He's thrown it 186 times. He's thrown the curveball 110 times. There are no hits against it. So that's the thing, man. And like he throws the fastball 35% of the time. It's a 94 mile an hour fastball. That shit's going to play. And if you only throw it 35%, that means you're working with three really effective off-speed pitches 65% of the time. The majority of every at-bat that a guy will see you. And if you can keep somebody on their heels for the entirety of an at-bat, that just suits you well. Because we see so many guys that are mistake hitters now. They were few and far between in as recently as the mid-2000s. Like, I think... Adam Dunn, Ryan Howard was the best mistake hitter at the time. Like a lot of those power hitters were mistake hitters. Now it feels like everybody's a mistake hitter where they're just waiting on that one fastball that's down the deck and they're going to send it to the moon. There are only a few guys that can actually put good wood on your best pitch. Mookie Betts is one of those right now. There are not a lot of guys built like Mookie Betts. And the good news for Tony Gonsolin is Mookie Betts is on his team good one to have i also i i know i made the joke where it was like i just didn't believe in tony gonsolin because of his cat prowess that wasn't it it was the fact that last year he rocked a walk rate over 14 percent and had a 3-2-3 era and my thinking was if his command is not there and we haven't really seen his command actually in 2020 he looked pretty good but it was in a very small sample as well while, I mean, he just never had that big of a sample also because he's been dealing with injuries. Like 2021 was his most healthy year in terms of games started because he had 13 starts and he had 34 walks in 55 innings. My thinking was, all right, this guy just gets hurt. Although the stuff in itself is nasty, he can't really command it. But guess what he's doing this year? He's commanding the shit out of it. Now he's got an 8.7% walk rate, which is still not great, but he's got a 159 ERA. So he can be a bit wild, but still be incredibly effective. And I think that's where I didn't realize he could be this good. Yeah, I hear you. Um, pitchers or uh, hitters? Hitters. Hitters. Uh, my first one is Christopher Morrell with the Cubs. Mm-hmm. This guy's come up and just like, he gets on base all the time and the Cubs are playing pretty well at the moment. And a lot of it has to do with Frank Schwindel getting really hot, but Christopher Morrell being great. Christopher Morrell in 20 games is an 849 OPS because he's hitting 291 with a 380 OBP. And Morrell, he was doing this with double a Tennessee. And this is another guy that has made the jump from double a right to major league baseball, double a South in particular, the Southern league, two years old. 22 years old but you know what he was doing in double a tennessee in 28 games he was hitting 306 with a 945 ops now he's hitting 291 he's got an 100 point ish jump into obp and he's got an 849 ops i'm not saying this is sustainable 111 games between double and triple last year he had a 729 ops i think that it would probably end up around there but if you're going to ride a hot hand 
do it. I mean, the Cubs literally have nothing to lose right now. Christopher Morrell was going to come up. He was going to accumulate the service time this year anyways. Um, you might as well just let him ride up here. And if he's providing you that spark and that fun, live with it, man. I think Christopher Morrell is going to be a, an exciting big leaguer for a decade. I do. Interesting. You think that highly of him. I do because, you know, I saw what he was doing in double and triple last year. And I've always known that Cubs fans are really high on Christopher Morrell when he was coming up. And the Cubs have one of the best fan bases when it comes to following prospects. They know what's going on. They know that Pete Armstrong is raking. They know that, you know, like a certain guy is struggling. But a name that I always heard was Christopher Morrell. Like, oh, I really like what this guy could do for us. And then all of a sudden he comes up and you see it and, and you see the excitement that he plays with. Doesn't he kind of feel like a, a more fundamentally sound and, and more disciplined Javi Baez when he first came up to, because he's exciting. Huh. He's infectious. He's got the infectious personality. He doesn't have the pop. He has nowhere close to the amount of pop that a young Baez had. You're talking but about the energy. I'm talking about the energy and I'm talking about the, the impact that he can make on a 30 something that's sharing the left side of the infield with him. Morrell played thought, center yesterday. I think one of the coolest moments of the season was Christopher Morrell had a walk-off hit. And right before it, like right before the pitch was delivered, right when Morrell, you know, calls time and, and steps out of the box for a second, he looks over and Wilson Contreras just gives him this. Yeah. Take a deep breath, kid immediate hit does the same thing he looks at wilson wilson gives him the and then he does the same thing immediate walk-off hit that was one of the coolest things live i've seen this season and and that was just a cool thing i've seen but another cool thing about christopher morell is that sometimes you would expect maybe oh morell's just killing fastballs but then they're gonna start spinning him and then he might you know he might have some problems and that could happen you know because he is hitting 354 off fastballs but he's hitting 250 off breaking balls. He has a double. He has two doubles. He has some singles. He hasn't killed them. But it's not like, oh, he's hitting 450 on fastballs and 150 off breaking balls. And you're like, okay, as soon as they start seeing him more, they're just going to spin him to death and he's going to go back into the sunken place. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. He is, he's pretty exciting. He's walking a lot right now. Yeah, um, he's disciplined. I think that the discipline's actually going to stay there. And, and mm. that was a change that he made this year, 10 walks in 28 games. Like that's solid enough. Um, but 11 walks in 20 games at the big league level, totally here for it. Last year, that wasn't necessarily there, but you, you can see some of the corrections in the approach just by looking at him. Sorry, just by looking at him analytically. Um, so I, I do think Morella is here to stay. Do I think that he is a perennial all-star? Absolutely not. But do I think that he is a major league baseball player for the next 10 years? I do. And I think that he's going to provide some really good stuff to the Cubs if they hold him uh, or if they ship him off. I like it. Let's talk about another guy who I've been so impressed by his discipline. And he's just one year older than, than Morrell, which is interesting because you might think that Alejandro Kirk might be 25 or 26. The guy is 23 years old and he is putting up 
some of the best at bats that I've seen from hitters this year. And the numbers would back that up. He's hitting 307 with a 389 on base percentage, 471 slugging to give him an 860 OPS. He's got five bombs and he's five foot eight, 245 pounds. So he's not going to affect anything on the base pass. That's why he's in the seventh percentile in sprint speed and he's got zero stolen bases, but he's a catcher. And of catchers that qualify, he is second in WRC plus in the entire league. That's how good Alejandro Kirk has been. And when we're talking about guys, like how do you get him out? Is this a guy you can spin to death? Is this a guy gets blown up by Velo? No and no. 329 batting average against fastballs with 350 expected batting average. He's hitting 316 off off-speed pitches. 250 off breaking balls with a 270 expected batting average off breaking balls. He doesn't really strike out at all. He's in the 98th percentile in K rate. And the thing is, it's not just the bat. It's not just the bat. Does Alejandro Kirk kind of have a noodle arm? Yeah, kind of. But is he one of the best framers in baseball right now on top of the offense? Yes. So with 23-year-old who has incredible discipline, has showing power, hitting 300, and is one of the best framers in the sport at 23 years old, if he wasn't 5'8", 245, so many more people would be incredibly excited about this guy. But he looks like a stuffed animal. Shouldn't 5'8", 245 make him more endearing? He, like, he looks like when he's catching, he looks like he's the dad sitting on the paint bucket catching his kid's bullpen. That's the thing. Like, I think there's endearing guys, and then there's guys who just straight up look out of shape. Like, he looks out of shape. He looks out of shape. Like, now, Prince Fielder looked endearing. Alejandro Kirk looks out of shape. Yeah. But with all that said, doesn't seem to matter. Kirk looks like Vogelbach's mini me. Yeah. Kind of. Like that's, Not kind of. He looks yeah. like Vogelbach's mini me. The crazy um, thing is, I think he's like six inches shorter and like 20 pounds lighter. Like yeah. That's, and Dan Vogelbach is a big old boy. This is from yesterday morning from Jonah Bierenbaum on Twitter at Bierenball. Um, only That's three players. Yeah, that is a good one. <laughs> only three players, the minimum of 160 plate appearances, have walked more times than they've struck out this season while posting an isolated power of 150 or higher. Jose Ramirez, Juan Soto, Alejandro Kirk. Not a bad list to be on. That's great company for Alejandro Kirk. 20 three years old. That's the main point of this. He's a 23 year old doing this because I think I thought he was older. I really thought he was 25, 26 years old. 23. The the Jays are in an amazing situation where they can either have Kirk be a DH when Moreno comes up or they can ship one of them off and go get a perennial all-star. Like this, Kirk and Moreno are providing Yoan Moncada type value when the Red Sox shipped off Moncada for Chris Sale. And I hope this take doesn't go stale because it really could. If you're the Blue Jays, do you consider trading Gabriel Moreno more? Because what we've seen from Kirk is that he seems to be the real deal here. And with Gabriel Moreno, you're going to get more of the allure of the prospect. When if you have... And MLB ready catcher right now, 91st percentile on framing. But then my also thinking is Alejandro Kirk does not become a defensive, a good defensive catcher if we have robo umpires, which could happen. The framing gets taken out of the equation. And then he's got a noodle arm and he's not that great of a blocker and he's not that athletic back there. But that's 
Fugazi. But it is something to know. It's like if we're ever going to get robot umpires in three years. Just something to, it's more of a thought to keep in your back pocket. It's so funny hearing how much those players hate those robo ups. I know. They it's hate, so makes sense. funny. I was because talking to unless they were all 100% accurate and fast, like you got to hate them. No, it's, it's accurate and fast, but I was talking to Jason DeLay, who was a catcher at, at Vandy for like Fulmer, Beattie, Bueller. Um, he's, he's an Indianapolis Indian right now. He's Pirates AAA. Um, and I was talking to DeLay because they were using the automated strike zone in Charlotte. They were using TrackMan and the, the home plate umpire was just wearing an earpiece and, and hearing ball or strike, what to call. And DeLay caught the majority of that series. And, and I asked him what he thought about that. And he said, I felt useless. Like I, because my whole thing is being a defensive catcher. Like my whole thing is oh, is yeah. helping my pitcher out. My whole thing is is buying guys strikes. And when you take something that I work on for several hours a day out of my toolbox, I'm pissed. Makes sense. But does that mean it's going to be stopped? No, but I. I... I don't know. I, I'm just beating a dead horse with this. Like, I, I really do just think that we need better human umpires. I, yeah, I think robotic I umpires would be brutal. Um, and I think some of these idiots need to get out. I think we need a better vetting process and we need to stay with human umpires. Because I still will always love the manager sprinting out of the dugout to have the full on yelling with the umpire, which would just never happen anymore, which I, I love that part of the game. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, it would just make it a little bit more boring. Like the human element is great. And and replay is important because we don't need another Armando Galarraga situation where Jim Joyce just, you know, fucks him. But uh, we don't need a boring lack of intensity game where you just say, oh, the computer told me that was a ball. I guess that's a ball. Well, your next player definitely had, doesn't have any lack of intensity. Um, Benintendi? That team has a lot less intensity than I think most. Um, trying to hype them up. Yeah, no, I <laughs> go ahead and try and do that. But I, all I want to say is Andrew Penintendi is turning himself into maybe the best available outfielder on the trade market this year. Mm, good, good spin zone. I like yeah, that. like I, I do think that, that Benintendi is setting himself up to A, get a good payday next year and B, help a contending team this year. Because I don't know if the Pirates are going to move off of Brian Reynolds. I don't know if Baltimore is going to move off of Cedric Mullins. And those are the two names that everybody is in love with. But, you know, the question was going to be, okay, this might be a thin hitter market. Who's going to be good? Benintendi's hitting 320 with an 800 OPS. I want, I want an outfielder hitting 320 with an 800 OPS on my team if I'm looking for an, for an October run. He's, do you believe him? Do you believe in this? Because like a 321 batting average, you know, he's not hitting for that much power. Um, he is walking at a decent rate. You know, he's walking above average. He is, he is had runs. His, he's had his power zapped entirely. Not that great of a defender. Here's what I'll say, though. Um, he, that, I think, is a conscious correction that he has made. He's not trying to hit 20 anymore. He's trying to pop out 10, but he's trying to hit 320. And not two sixty. Do you have his BABIP in front of you? Um, I don't have his BABIP. I can go get it though. Cause I, I'm saying if if that BABIP is really really high, it's hard for me to believe that he's this good of a hitter. It really is just because he's hitting a ton more balls on the ground this year. 
I don't know, but you're right. It's like we you look at the stats and you say, yeah, he's gonna be a, he's gonna be a valuable trade candidate, and he's probably gonna get a decent size contract because he's shown that he can be a good hitter before, and he was a great prospect, you know, out of college, the Golden Spikes winner. But what's the BABIP? The BABIP is three seventy. That's gonna regress. Okay, um, but let me tell you this. This is the first year in Benny's career that he has an isolated power under 100, and this is the best WRC plus of his career by a country mile. You don't need to hit homers to be a productive offensive piece. I think Ben Benintendi can be a leadoff guy for a contender that is looking for a leadoff guy. But my thing is, when you don't hit the ball that hard and most of your balls are on the ground and your BABIP is so high, that makes me think, that those ground balls are going to start finding infielders and that he's not going to be able to piece, you know, the hole between, you know, the five, six hole or, you know, four, like he, the four, three hole, like he won't be able to get through these every single time. Like he has been. And I feel okay. like that will start to normalize. Benintendi is second in baseball in BABIP right now, or he's 11th in baseball. Pardon. I have no idea where second came from. He's 11th <laughs> in baseball in BABIP. Here's who in front. Here's who's in front of him. J.D. Martinez. Miguel Cabrera has a 400 Babbitt. That's Paul Goldschmidt. Yeah. Luis Arise has a 393 Babbitt. Xander Bogarts, Garrett Cooper, Tim Anderson, Rafael Devers, Chris Taylor, and Julio Rodriguez. But it's like we go through all those guys, and there's an excuse in there for a lot of them. Yeah. Like an excuse for the reason why their Babbitt is so high. Like Paul Goldschmidt, his Babbitt is so high is because he's hitting everything for power. Everything's line drives and he's crushing the ball. So most of the things he hits is in the gaps. Like J.D. Martinez, same thing. Rafael Devers, same thing. And then you look at some of the other guys, like Julio Rodriguez has incredible speed. So I, Tim Anderson, 11, incredible speed. And Tim Anderson is always a Babbitt guy because he just can do it. 11 guys on this list. 11. Of the 11 guys that I just mentioned, Andrew Benintendi has the third lowest K rate and he's got the fifth highest walk rate. Why can't he do it? And even if the Babbitt goes down 20 points to 350, he can still hit 315 in a leadoff spot. My thinking is if he hits 280 this year with no power and no real speed and below average defense, like I'm just telling you, he's not going to hit 280. He's changed his game offensively to the point where he's not going to hit 18 bombs again. He'll hit Hmm. six, but he's not going to hit 260 again. He'll hit 310. My thinking is he has to, for him to be valuable with six home runs and a little bit of below average defense and no real speed on the base pass that's going to, you know, impact the game completely like a Bobby Wood Jr. or like a Whit Merrifield or something, he has to hit 320. Yeah. And I just don't know if he's going to. I think he can. And if he does, then he is. Then he's valuable. 320 is 320. But a guy like Luis Arise sitting 350, he just puts bat on ball like nobody. He just doesn't strike out ever, ever. I'm just thinking, though, like a very bad baseball team. Benintendi's on a very bad baseball team right now. Arise is not going to be available. He's the mean? best at the trade deadline. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're totally right, yeah. Benintendi's going to be available because he's got that contract that, that they're just going to move for a rental. Like, I, I think he is the best available outfielder at the moment. I would still take Cedric. I would. I would take Cedric. Morris. I don't know if he's available because that's the, the thing. Yeah, you're right. Baltimore's showing promise. Mm, kind of. Adley Rutschman's up. I count that as promise. 
but Adley Rutschman ain't played well. I still count a guy's presence as promise. Facts. Did you hear what happened to Grayson? Um, no, I know he was out for a little bit. He might be out for the season now. With what? The injury. With what kind of injury? You can't say injury and not tell me what kind of injury. Grayson Rodriguez injury. God, my heart rate just went up. Uh, lat. It's a lat strain? Oh, fuck. Yeah. All right, fuck. It sucks. They're not going to move Cedric Mullins. They, That's they what might, I'm saying. They might move Cedric Mullins. Adley ain't hitting right now. Grayson's out for the year. They might move Cedric Mullins. <sighs> Contenders would I, love I don't know. Cedric I don't Mullins know if he's there. out for the year. That's what I heard this morning in our in our prize picks Twitter space. We could him miss. On big Orioles fan. He's like, the word is that he will be out an extended period from, of time. Yeah, give it to me. Yeah, from Zach Silver with MLB.com. He he could be out until 2023. Yeah, which sucks because he is amazing. Yeah. All right, your last hitter. My last hitter um, is another guy who I think I should be apologizing towards, um, but I want to see him continue to do this. But what Dansby Swanson of the Atlanta Braves has been doing is frankly fantastic right now. You know, you know, you know me, I'll go into the, it's incredible. It's incredible. No, but it's, it's, it's very good. It's very good. And it doesn't just stop offensively. We're going to talk about the offense right now, but I think you can make the argument that Dansby Swanson has been one of the most valuable defenders at shortstop this year. And that's the big development for him because we always knew we could hit. He's always going to hit. He's, you know, he may not hit 300, but he's going to hit between 260 to 280 with plenty of home runs. He almost hit 30 last year, plenty of RBIs, and he's going to steal you some bags. We knew that, but we didn't know he'd be 99th percentile outs above average. 99th percentile, one of the most valuable defenders. And I gave him the barometer of average shortstop play because he was a fine defender, like fine as in average. And then he was a little bit above average of a hitter. But if you're telling me this is a guy who can hit you 265 to 270 with 25 to 30 home runs, he's already got nine stolen bases, six home runs. So if this is a 20 stolen base guy who's in the 99th percentile of outs above average, this is a top 10 shortstop in baseball. And we have to remember that he's 28 years old and he was the first overall pick out of Vanderbilt. That this guy does have the potential to be this type of hitter. And he's acting like it, but the big development is the defense. I mean, this guy is humming on all sides of the ball for a Braves team that really, really needs him right now. So slick defender and good defender are two different things. Dansby Swanson was always a slick defender. He was a good defender at Vandy. He always looked good because he had, you know, like the flowing hair and the eye black and the compression sleeve. Great. Um, that's how Bobby Witt gets me. Like, I'm yeah, just, I, like I, could, I could not even watch Bobby Witt play. Just look at him and be like, that's a ball player. Dude looks slick as shit. Dansby Swanson has looked slick as shit for the entirety of his career. And now that's turning into being an elite defender. I thought he was always a good defender. I thought he was a, an above average defender and a slightly below average hitter. That, that was my view on Dansby Swanson, which is why he epitomized average. Um, but Dansby is an elite defender and he's putting up the best offensive season of his entire career. The only one that comes close was 60 games long in 2020. Um, he's going to shatter his stolen base mark. 
Most stolen bases he's had in a year is 10. He's nine for 10 on the bags right now. He's hitting 274, which is great for him. He's got six bombs already. My thing with Dansby is what does a contract for him look like? It's going to be I 29 years no old. no idea. I've That's what no I was going to ask you too. I have no idea. I have no idea what I pay. No, I have no idea. No idea. So I like so hard. Five for five for 85. Would you give that to him? I don't know. I think so. I think I would. That's 29 through 34. His age 29 through 34 season. Yeah. Five for 85. Yeah. Would you go five for a hundred? That's a 20 million AAV guy. I don't think he's a 20 million AAV guy, but he's playing like one right now. He's playing like one. Certainly. If you, you can know, find a short, that's my thing. If you can find a shortstop, just hold on to him for dear life. Cause there are so many teams with eight mediocre shortstops. I don't know what I'd pay him. I, I, I was thinking about this before the show too. And it was funny. I wasn't going to bring it up because I don't know what to pay him. I don't, I have no earthly idea. What I do know, what I do know is that he has the same outs above average as Manny Machado and Christian Pache. Like that's the level of defender that he is right now at a premium position at shortstop. It's phenomenal. Again, five for 85. That's 17 million a year. If you can get away with a club option for the final year, great. I think that's like a the JP price. Crawford just signed like a, what, a five-year, $50 million deal? What did JP sign? Dansby's better than JP Crawford. Yeah, he is. JP Crawford signed five for 51. Yeah. How much better is he than JP Crawford? Because JP Crawford has not been good defensively, but we know that'll probably normalize. And he has been a good hitter. Dude, he's got to make more than five for 51. He has to. I agree. But five for 85 is a big jump. If he keeps this up five for 85, if he regresses a little bit and becomes slightly above average again, I see five for 70. I agree. I think that's accurate. That'd be my best guess. And it might not be Alex Anthopoulos. I I hope it is. I hope it's Atlanta. I think Dansby is great in Atlanta. I mean, Um, knowing Anthopoulos, he's probably going to give him an eight-year deal for 80 million. Just be like, do you want it? That'd be awesome. (laughs) And Dansby would be like, fuck yeah, let's go. Yeah. Like, hey, we're going to cut down the AAV a little bit, club options at the end, but we'll give you those two years. I mean, he's perfect. Like, if I were to handpick a GM and it's not Neander, if I had some money to work with, Mm. um, I think it's a... You're about... Really? Yeah, like, I I think Neander, but Friedman's obviously great at what he does. Um, I don't know. I think the other Giants. mm, I would take Alex Anthopoulos over Farhan's 80. I don't know. It's close, but regardless, he's in that conversation. He's and they're in that all conversation. Amazing. They're all amazing. Yeah, we're splitting like, You know, and, and Matt Olson had a really bad May after an awesome April, but I, that Olson deal is just going to be better than Freddie Freeman. I know that for a fact. Like that's that's my thing. So it's, I don't know. It's it's fascinating, man. I have no idea what the contract would look like. Don't you have your last header, or did we just end it? We just ended it. Oh, good job. Good job. Bye. <laughs> um socials uh just baseball show on instagram just baseball fans on tiktok just bb media on twitter um what loop.card slash just baseball yeah Uh, click the link 
Click the link. You get a free $20 just for downloading the Loop app. It's an absolute no-brainer, even if you don't like baseball cards. But you're listening to this podcast. You probably could be honest with yourself. You probably like baseball cards a little bit. And you or like 23 bucks, you can get, get some free ones. Or give it a shot. Uh, join our chalkboard. That link is in our episode description. Um, bet with us on prize picks. You're doing a Twitter space every day at 2 p.m. Putting together the ultimate prize picks lineup. The ultimate. Um, and I think uh, JB Merch, I, I think that's it, right? With that, thank you, everybody. Nice. Nice.